Welcome to Regulated and Relational, the bi-monthly podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. Today's episode is a reflection on the emotion of anger, inspired by Ginger and Julie's love of Dr. Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. Let's listen together as they discuss this challenging emotion. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Regulated and Relational, our podcast produced by the Attachment and Trauma Network. I'm Ginger Healy. And I'm Julie Beam. And we're excited to share with you from both our personal experiences and our professional knowledge what it truly means to be attachment-focused, trauma-informed, and how we can help children impacted by early childhood trauma. Today's topic is anger, and Julie's going to lead us into it. That's right. I'm going to lead us into anger. Well, I hope I'm not going to lead us into anger. But when I chose this emotion as one that I thought we should cover on the podcast, it was more because I was thinking it's an important one that we all talk about. Not because I was thinking, you know, I have much experience with anger. Typically, I'm a person who's very slow to anger or at least I'd like to think that's the person I am. This episode might prove me wrong on that as we reflect on anger. Let's dive in, starting where we love to start on these emotions by having Brene define this for us. Brene Brown's definition is anger is an emotion that we feel when something gets in the way of a desired outcome or when we believe there's a violation of the way things should be. Anger comes from a place of believing that something unfair or unjust has happened and something must be done to resolve the problem. I love those definitions. I had, Mm -hmm. if I were trying to define anger, I'm not sure that's how I would, but the more I think about it, the more, you know, I'm convinced it's that unjust piece that really gets to me, right? So anger is an active and an activating emotion. Our body activates when it's angry and we have to do something. We want to do something to express that. Your thoughts are hijacked. Even your body is hijacked. Your breathing and heart rate and perspiration, you have a physical reaction. So it's time for me to do a whole true confession As I was reading through my notes on this, I remembered a time that I got angry. So here it is, because this whole physical hijack thing, right? When my daughter was young, she was probably about nine years old. She played softball. I was keeping score in the dugout. It was a big game. They were highly competitive for little ones. There was a short stop on the other team who was really talented. She could hit and she could field and she was doing all of this stuff. And she was feeling many of the hits of our team and tagging a lot of runners out as they were coming past her, right? As a shortstop. But on one of the plays, when she fielded the ball, she stretched her arms out with the ball in her glove and she locked her elbows and she clotheslined the runner, right? And so the runner's coming from second to third and gets caught like between their head and their shoulders, this girl's arms, and then it falls down, right? Falls flat on their back. My daughter was up to bat next and walked and got on base. And so there was a girl in second and my daughter on first. And so then there was another hit. And again, right to the shortstop, she fielded it. She straightened out her arms and she clotheslined the girl coming from second. So at this point, the umpire stopped the game and he called both coaches out and they had this talk with this little girl about how this was not a good idea to put her arms out like that, that it was dangerous and that it could hurt the other players, right? So the next play, again, the ball gets hit right to where the shortstop can field it. And here was my daughter that was the one coming from second base to third base. And you guessed it, a similar play. And this girl clotheslines my daughter and she goes falling to the ground. The next thing I remember 
is the coach dragging me away from the shortstop position. I don't know how I got physically from the dugout out there, but I was yelling at this poor little nine-year-old girl. I had this whole out-of-body experience and no memory of getting anywhere except the coach dragging me to the sideline going, you got to go sit down. You got to go sit down, right? My body was definitely hijacked. Because, you know, I was mama baronet right there. (laughs) There was nothing in my cognitive system that ever believes that it's right for an adult to go out and yell in the face of a nine-year-old girl. But there I was doing it. And boy, did I feel awful. It was terrible. Well, I think that most of us can identify with what you're talking about in some way, shape, or form. It's an emotion that most of us are in touch with. Most of us have experienced and totally understand what you mean when you talk about your bodies being hijacked. Of course, you know, what we know about our autonomic nervous system through the polyvagal theory is how the fight and flight responses signal danger and they activate the sympathetic nervous system. And we know that when we're in a fight response, we're shifting our state to one of survival. Our heart rate, adrenaline levels, pupil size increases, we're hyper aroused. And then of course, what decreases is our cognitive ability to learn and especially to be relational. And it's because we don't feel safe. Well, I definitely was not relational to that poor nine-year-old girl because I knew my daughter was not safe, right? (laughs) So, Mm. So there was all of that was happening. Anger is a disruptive emotion. It's all encompassing. It's physical, it's cognitive, it's emotional. And we do one of only three things when we experience anger. We express it, which I obviously did that day. We hold on to it or suppress it. That's the second thing we can do with it. Or we regulate ourselves and we process it, right? Those are our three choices. And they're not in the moment, they don't feel like they're a choice, but those are the three things we do, right? And out of these three, the one that gets us in trouble the most is expressing it, obviously. But the one that's truly the worst for us, the most unhealthy, is not expressing it. It's suppressing it. Much of the research out there does correlate anger in adults with childhood trauma. In fact, there's a lot of literature talking about how early abuse and neglect are particularly prevalent in adults who struggle to manage their anger-based behaviors. Many of those didn't exhibit anger as children. What we know about these folks is that they were probably suppressing the anger they experienced in the moment, right, during their maltreatment, because perhaps in in a lot of cases, the situations that they were in, it wasn't safe for them to express their anger, right? They might have gotten hurt worse by expressing anger. The suppressed anger of childhood often becomes very visible in adulthood. This can become even more complex in a person whose nervous system gets stuck in their anger. And a lot of children that have complex PTSD, have developmental trauma, can get stuck in anger. It's like they get stuck in that fight response and everything is a fight, right? Most of their interactions are misinterpreted as a threat. This happens to children who've been removed from harmful situations or whom adversity stops. And once they overall are in a place where they're starting to feel safer, then that anger starts bubbling up, right? And the destructive behaviors emerge because now they feel safe to express them. It's no longer a life or death thing to keep them suppressed, right? 
So before long, this is the child that is going to get a diagnosis of intermittent explosive disorder or oppositional defiant disorder. And this is particularly problematic because their explosive anger is really expressing the emotion of what previously happened to them, even if it doesn't make any sense at all for them to explode in their current situation. And if you're parenting a child like this, you know exactly what I'm talking about right now. You're like, okay, I'm with you, Julie, because you're right. Something happens, kid explodes, doesn't make any sense, but it does make sense that they suppressed the anger from their early beginning, right? So many parents and others who are supporting the family have trouble with this explosive anger. It doesn't make sense. There doesn't seem to be a trigger. We can't figure it out. And so many of us, until we start looking through a trauma-informed or a neurologically informed lens to try to get to the expression of that anger to stop, you know, we just want it to stop, right? It's dangerous. It's making everybody else in the family afraid. It's making us angry too. And it doesn't feel good for us to be angry, you know? Right. Well, and we haven't necessarily been given a lot of ideas or answers And we want a quick fix. And many parents turn to medications. Mm -hmm. And sometimes medications do help a child slow down those aggressive impulses. Mm -hmm. But often they're not a true solution because of the side effects, or they're just not a long term solution because they don't build the child's distress tolerance. Right. Because when that nervous system is activated, the child's behavior becomes dangerous, including dangerous toward themselves in a self-hurting way. And that's what makes diagnoses like oppositional defiant disorder and intermittent explosive disorder really challenging diagnoses. And I just think that getting these diagnoses, when you hear that, when those are, you know, diagnosed, it leads medical professionals. The first thing that they often do is prescribe medications. Here's the thing. It's not really looking at the why underneath the iceberg. We've talked about that iceberg before. We see what's on top. We want to fix what's on top. But if we don't look underneath, then it doesn't really fix it in the long term. And often that why is unprocessed trauma. You know, the stuff on top, it's just covering up, you know, fear, shame, all those other things. Exactly. And we don't want anybody to think that we're against using medication if your child has got dangerously explosive anger, because it can definitely take the edge off, help them get their impulses a little more under control, help them have just that brief second where they can pause, just like that whole John Balin podcast, go back and listen to John Balin. If you didn't hear his podcast, you know, medications aren't the complete answer is really what we're saying. I appreciate that clarification because I do think we have to look at the whole picture and really look at underneath. Oftentimes, if I hear a parent saying the medication's not working, it's because there's other things going on. So Mm -hmm. I think it's such an important conversation to have and to sit with. Okay. So oftentimes I hear anger is the bodyguard of fear. And I love that statement because that's, you know, leading us to look really what's underneath. So Julian John Gottman, marriage researchers, therapists, they use when they're talking about the iceberg, they call it the anger iceberg. And it's a lot like the iceberg analogy that we've talked about before, where trauma-based behaviors are on the surface they cover a whole host of things underneath. 
And according to Paul Ekman's research, anger is one of the six basic emotions identified in the Atlas of Emotions. So we're talking about disgust, fear, happiness, sadness, surprise. Anger is felt by everyone at one point or another. It's just completely valid as its own emotion. But there are times when other emotions are spurring the anger. You know, anger is the bodyguard of fear. We use anger to protect the raw feelings, you know, that lie underneath it. So anger can be a base emotion, but it can also be covering up the base emotion. If when we feel that emotion, it's just overwhelming, too overwhelming to feel in the moment. So I know that there are parents and teachers out there probably asking, okay, so we still have to deal with this. You know, let's talk about what to do when our children express that anger. Well, first of all, as a mom whose child did express a lot of anger in the beginning and a lot of dangerous behaviors in those angry states, we would be remiss to not start with safety. I mean, you have to be safe. They have to be safe. Everybody has to be safe. When someone is expressing anger, they cannot be allowed to hurt themselves or others. I mean, you have to do everything in the moment that you can to keep that from happening. Don't ever misconstrue what we're saying when we talk about other things to do, that those are first when you're in a truly dangerous situation, because it's truly best to not let anybody get hurt, if at all possible. Sometimes that's not even possible, but that's what we should strive for. If someone is expressing anger by destroying things, they're going to need some help and guidance on how to be less destructive. Remember, anger is that activating emotion. And so it makes us want to do something. So that was, so we're going to use that in a minute when we talk about the some things we can do. There are some very useful tools that we can practice ourselves you know, when we're feeling angry and that we can model for our children when they're feeling angry about the ways that they can get expressed. Yeah. One of my most favorite tools that I tell everyone, especially, you know, when we're in therapy or just doing, you know, here in my home, name it to tame it. And that is a strategy where we're taking introspection and noticing what is going on Because oftentimes when we're at that point of explosion, whether it be anger or something else, we have ignored everything that our body is trying to tell us because we're drained, we're tired, we're overwhelmed, we're uncomfortable. So many reasons why people don't like to talk about feelings, especially the difficult feelings. It's really hard to dig deep and to discuss feelings, especially feelings that we feel ashamed of, right? That, oh, I shouldn't feel this way or whatever it is. But truly, when we sit with that sensation or feeling or understanding of what's going on inside and then express it out loud, name it, call it out, it actually soothes us. It regulates us. Dr. Dan Siegel He's a brilliant professor of psychiatry and he's an author and he teaches that honestly naming our emotional states reactivates our prefrontal cortex. It brings that higher level processing back online. So when we talk about being stuck, we're talking about like being stuck in the part of our brain that can't reason and can't think and can't process. We're stuck. So we have to get unstuck and get to that higher processing. So he's saying that saying it out loud 
does that for us. It brings us into a different part of our brain. And that's really important because during dysregulation, we need to solve problems, but sometimes we just can't get there. We have to be emotionally regulated to focus and to focus our attention, to plan, prioritize, be self-aware and to be flexible in our thinking. So we need it, right? But we can't get there. So how do we get there? And so he's saying that if we consciously label our intense emotions, then it signals the brain to send those soothing neurotransmitters to our amygdala. And that in turn calms our body. It calms our mind. It helps us feel more in control. So, okay, simply put, What he's saying, and you know, what I want to teach here is that saying it out loud, I feel sad, I feel scared, I'm angry, just saying it out loud makes us feel better. It actually regulates us. I know that oftentimes when I'm struggling, the last thing I want to do is admit how I'm feeling or admit that I made a mistake. I have this voice in my head that's like, what's wrong with you? You should be able to handle this. You know, it's exactly what my kid needs to hear me say. They need to hear me say, you know what? I'm having a hard time. I need a minute. I made a mistake and I got to fix it here. And so sometimes I'll even say, you know what? I just need to push through this discomfort I'm feeling right now. And I got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And when I do that, that process, it's healing for me and it's healing for my child. It gets me back into regulation and it models for my child how to get back into regulation. It gives our kids words and power. And so, you know, that just builds resilience so that they can do that on their own when we're not there to help guide them through it. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. a great tool to use. I think it is to name it, to tame it. And it's so easy to remember that, right? Uh, it's a cute little saying, a meme that helps us remember it as well, right? But sometimes our little ones, even if we're modeling it, they're not going to be in touch with their feelings, right? And it may, just, may just say they're angry about everything, right? Like if you ask them what they're feeling, it's always anger, because they're activated. And so they're so darn activated that they can't be reflective in the moment. They can't get to the why. And so that's when we need to start thinking about some more physical tools, something that involves our bodies too, right? To release that anger, especially as it's moving towards rage. So here are some ideas. They're not new to us. I think that this direct lift came from Mental Health of America, which is where we found that it's probably not new to them either, because you may have thought of these, but we're going to compile them up here and just talk through some things. And the first one is throw or break something safely, you know, physically throwing something relieves the stress, right? Go out there and throw some rocks. You know, now I'm saying all of this stuff, like there's all kinds of ideas here about things to throw soft balls and throw a toilet paper roll against a wall, throw an apple into the woods because it, you know, an animal will get it. You know, it's not a big deal to do that. Some of this is controversial for parents. And I get why, because our kids remember they get stuck. They got stuck in the anger, you know, like the raw anger. And so now we teach them this and they're going to get stuck in throwing things or stuck in. And so we have to not use it 
to the point that we get stuck in it and it's the only thing that we can do. So we're, then we're still kind of on that destructive path. But if it works to release the big things, we might do that. Like I remember as a child, it was suggested to me that I take a tennis ball and I go out and throw it against the side of the house. And we had a concrete pad at the side of the house and it would just bounce back to me. And that was releasing. It worked. Mm -hmm. It didn't hurt anybody. The rhythm of it, you know, all that Bruce Perry rhythm and the physicalness of it, it really worked. And I would go out there and do that. I think that's a lot of why people go out and dribble a basketball and shoot baskets. You know, there's all of those things that you can do. So use that tool, pick and choose when, but I think it does have some usefulness. Even punching pillows has usefulness if it takes you a step away from doing something that's more harmful. Well, and it goes along, I'm going to go out of order here, but because it goes along with number five, that is do a tough workout. And it's because that movement that we taught back in our burnout podcast is the quickest way to release those stress hormones. So Julie's going to talk about dancing, but if dancing isn't your thing, you know, try a high energy exercise, boxing, sprinting. There's a lot of free workout videos online. You've probably got your own things that work for you, but it's about pushing yourself and giving it your all Mm -hmm. to really release that anger. It might feel silly. It just helps you exert more energy when you're doing that and you're grunting and yelling and just forcing it out. So it's that act of doing, you know, so I think it goes right along with your throwing something, safely breaking something exercising. The other thing that was mentioned on this list was screaming. And so maybe this is like, name it to tame it on steroids. I don't know. (laughs) But really, when you start to feel like anger boiling inside you, yelling is often cathartic. It can pull you out of like a blind rage that you're experiencing. So of course, you don't want to startle or scare anyone, but you can scream into a pillow. And if you're at work, take a break for a few minutes, go out to your car, roll the windows up, you know, and just let it out. I see that on TV a lot. That seems to be like the TV device that you now know this character is angry because they, you know, went out into the fire escape or they went in into their car and they screamed and then they come back in and they're all cool and calm. And I don't know that it works that instantaneously for everybody, but you know, it is safe. It's a safe way to let that out, right? The other thing that I do in my car, if I need to get things out, is to crank that music up. And especially if the music's got a little anger in it, if the artist is, you know, got a broken heart and they're angry about it, or there's some other kind of feeling going on there, you can express your own anger through the fury in the song. I had a theme song when our family was going through our due process case that I would just crank up every day on my way into the court because I knew I was going to have to sit there quietly, not show emotion and let all of that build. And then I'd come home and I'd crank it up on the way home and sing at the top of my lungs because I was relieving that stress. Along with that, you know, huge music people at our house, we do a lot of dancing. We dance when we're happy. We dance when we're angry. Dancing can be so physical. You know, you can dance to angry music, put on your headbanger music and just do that feeling for a while. Or you can help to shift your mood a little bit by putting on some happy music and going ahead and getting physical with that. 
All of that is so good. And a lot of it to me is about shifting and changing Mm -hmm. your surroundings. And that really is an actual strategy. When you can't quiet your thoughts, you need a change of scenery. Just go to the next room, step outside for five minutes. It's about disrupting that track that your mind is replaying over and over again and doing a physical shift, a physical change. So even going into another room, change of scene, So important. I learned that from my daughter's parenting babies that their doctors told them when the baby was fussy and they could not get him to calm, go stand outside if it seemed to be hotter or colder outside because the change of temperature, the change in scenery, all of a sudden, you know, helps that child's brain shift out of their fussy state. So if it works for babies, of course it works for us, right? Yeah. So the artistic folks, Here's a couple of suggestions for you. Journaling, putting your feelings in words, channeling them through your writing. And if you're those people, you'll know that you're those people. It may not always be your go-to technique, but if your mind is spiraling with the angry thoughts, dump them out on a piece of paper. That's a pretty safe place to put some big, ugly thoughts, right? Just, you know, type it up, stream of consciousness, or grab a pen and paper if you like that tactile you know, run to the bathroom, even with a notepad, like a sticky note, and just write it all out, you know, or draw and draw and paint. And I know that when my daughter was younger, she did a lot of art therapy sessions, because she is pretty artistic. And it was fascinating to me the way they used art in a powerful way, you know, to help her navigate her feelings, right, and express herself, because that's really what art is for, right? It allows you to get it all out. You don't have to be making artwork that is award-winning. It's artwork that is expressing what's going on with you right now. You know, Right. And there's no right or wrong. It's what it is. So it's just this accurate representation. And in fact, one thing that I've used before is, you know, having kids put it on paper and making like a paper airplane and sending it away or one of the suggestions here that's also similar is destroying that representation of the anger. So you can write it out, you can type it out, you can draw it out, and you can scribble over it, you can tear it up, you can put it through the shredder, you can physically destroy it. It's like, you know, seeing the destruction happen makes it kind of go away, it expresses it, it releases, releases it. it. Yeah, I like that great. part. And you can definitely do that with whatever it is. It mimics the destructive acts that you might have otherwise done, but it's right. so safe, you know, and it gives and you that. that's the whole thing. Yep. There are just safe ways to release those feelings. So I think anger is with us for the rest of our lives. I don't know anybody who ages out of the emotion of anger. What we do learn how to do though is to navigate it better and to navigate it to not suppress it but not express it in unhealthy ways and so the more tools that you can try and the more tools that you can model for your children and offer up for them to try it's all a learning process and you may be the person that needs to go take the jog after work to get rid of the anger you feel but your child might be the journaler or the artist or the person who wants to dance to get it out. And that's okay. You know, and you may come up with 10 other very constructive and innovative ways that your family can learn to express their anger. 
but the point is to come up with those, to practice that and see what works uh, for you, for the children that you are parenting or teaching. It's important. It's an important thing to do. Yeah, I would love to hear from our listeners what works for them and what ideas they have so we can expand this list. Well, thank you all for listening today and we'll catch you at the next episode. This has been another episode of Regulated and Relational. Next time, Ginger and Julie will continue their summer series of discussing emotions and the language of human experiences based on Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. The topic is curiosity. A special thanks to Lorraine Schneider, our editor, and Joe Kramer for donating our music. For more information about the Attachment and Trauma Network, visit our website at attachtrauma.org. Show notes and upcoming episodes are available on our website and on anchor.fm. I'm Danny Pankratz. Thanks for listening.